Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Isn't God so very good? I am so grateful for this group and for the group that you can't see up there making today possible. You know, this morning, I am especially aware that our time together is growing brief. Today is just one of four Sundays remaining that I will be one of your pastors, and I'll have an opportunity to stand in this space and preach. Now, for some of you, this may come as a great relief. If that's you, just know that your joy is, does not diminish my love for you in any way. I had a mentor that once told me, there will always be those who will be really glad when you come, and there will always be those who will be really glad when you leave. And the only thing that ever changes is the number in each camp. You know, my sense is, though, that for most of you, this changing of leaders, particularly in this time of pandemic, is heavy. And maybe because of that, I feel a little bit protective. I feel like there's so much that I want to say in these next few weeks, and it's just a little bit overwhelming because I really can't say everything that I want to say. It is a delicate work, discipleship, and it is never finished. It's never finished in you. It's never finished in me And so as I think about this, I am drawn particularly to the teachings of Jesus as he drew near the end of his time with his disciples. Our scripture reading this morning comes from one of the most intimate exchanges that he has with them, and it's found in the book of John. It's these three chapters in which he really pours his heart out to them. He is trying to prepare them for a time when he will not be with them. He knows that things are about to change and, and he has that sense that he wants to make sure that they are okay because he knows that the things that he is saying to them, it bothers them. They are disturbed by it. They're arguing with him. They're trying to say that it isn't so, but it doesn't diminish the truth of his words. There is coming a day soon that he is going to leave them. And so he spends this time preparing not only the 12, but I really think he is preparing generations to come for moments such as these. And so over the next couple of weeks, we are gonna spend a little time looking at these three chapters. But today I've chosen a small pericope. That's your fun word for the day, pericope. It's like a seminary $100 word. Took me a while to learn it and it really just means passage. Like so, this small pericope, your friends will be super impressed. Not really, I wouldn't say it. They'll think you're obnoxious. But beginning in the 15th verse, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides in you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. 
In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Those who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of God for the people of God, and the people said, thanks be to God. Amen. You know, just diving right into it, I love the honesty of verse 15. If you love me. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about that word if, and every time you hear that word if, it is a call to pay attention It is always placed with great intentionality. And it tells us that there are other possibilities because that word carries with it uncertainty and a measure of doubt. If you love me means that there is the possibility that you might not. It acknowledges that not everyone is going to love Jesus. Not everyone who hears about him is going to believe that he is the Messiah. And you don't have to live in this world very long to know that that is true among us. Even with believers, it is not always clear that we truly love Jesus in the way that he is challenging us to love him. Now maybe you, like me, wonder, well, how can this be? And I think it's important to remember that we are dealing with the word love as translated into English. Now we've spoken before about how in Greek there are many different words for love and they each mean something a little bit different. And so when you're dealing with the translation and you're dealing with that word love, it's important to know what type of love that is being spoken of. There is of course the popular eros, which is that chemical kind of love, when you say you have chemistry with somebody, that attraction that you have, that's not what he's talking about. There is philos, which is friendship kind of love. This is the love that most of us have for most people. It is the love that is mutual. It is a love that is loyal, a love that is kind and thoughtful, and even sometimes sacrificial in nature. But it's limited because it is one of those give and take types of love. So if you are offering philos to another and after a while they don't offer that friendship, they don't reciprocate that love back to you, it is one that we tend to withdraw from the other. But agape is a different kind of love. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. It's a little more abstract than some of the others. I've heard it defined in a lot of different ways. I've even defined it in different ways through the years. This is the love that is given freely. It doesn't hold any expectation that it will ever be returned. It's kind of like lately when we wear our masks in public, we don't wear them necessarily for our own protection, but we wear them because we're trying to protect others, those mostly that we don't even know. And so it it is a, a form of agape. There's a generous grace to this type of love, and as humans, we seem to really struggle with it. But not God. God does not struggle with agape. Whenever you hear Jesus speak of love, 
his love for us or God's love for us, it is almost always this type of love. God loves us freely and faithfully, even when we can't or we do not return that love. And so Jesus seems to be asking his disciples if they're gonna be able to make the transition from a philos type of love, which developed because they were around each other all the time, into an agape love, a love that's gonna be necessary when he is no longer with them. Are they going to be able to love him when he is gone? Are they going to be able to love him when they are being persecuted? Are they going to be able to love him whenever it feels like heaven is silent in the midst of their pain, when temptation is all around them? Can you? Can I? That seems to be the question that is at the heart of the use of that word if, if you love me if you have agape for me. So if we are not very good at this type of love, how are we to know if we are on track? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, you will, not you might, you will keep my commandments. Awesome, got it. Except, what are the commandments? So then you have to go back. Remember, he simplified them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and then love who? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it's saying, the translation is, show agape, give agape to your neighbor just as you do to yourself. Love them, even if you don't even really know them, even if they never love you back, even if they are hard to love. Most people, like I said, are pretty bad at this. And I think to myself, well, I'm I'm good at it, right? Like, I'm kind, usually. I don't wish people ill, mostly. I'm pretty loyal, if you're nice to me. I show appreciate, okay, that's philos, all right. So, what is Jesus asking me to do again? Okay, yeah, yeah, to love people freely, regardless of my relationship to them, without any expectation that they can or will return that love. Now that's a problem, because I'm terrible at it, honestly. Well, sometimes, and most of us are. And Jesus knows this, and Jesus asks us to do it anyway. I mean, Jesus knows what his disciples are about to do. He's telling them this, and pretty soon, they are gonna scatter like the wind. They're gonna deny even knowing him. They're going to betray him. And so why would he ask us to do something that seems almost impossible? I mean, isn't Philos good enough? It's pretty good love. That's the love we get a lot. Why not just keep it here? Why we gotta go all up here? Like, average student, don't need to be exceptional, Jesus. Except, Jesus says, no. I'm gonna call you to a higher standard. I'm gonna ask you to love in the way that I love you. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, my favorite, my favorite. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, and the word here is agape, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And you hear what he's saying. You can be super smart. You can be really charismatic. Gosh, you can be so charming and such a good speaker. Maybe you're one of those people that can convince someone of anything. You can talk your way out of a brown paper bag, as my grandma would say. Maybe you can even speak in the tongue of angels. I have no idea what that sounds like, but it seems impressive. But if you don't have love, if you don't do it from the right space, your speech, your giftedness is pointless and it's meaningless, and it just becomes like noise. And maybe you're wise, maybe especially when it comes to scripture, God has given you the ability to understand many of the biblical truths that confound others. Maybe you've been to Sunday school your whole life since you were a baby, and you know all the memory verses, like you got gold stars, even got to pick out of the prize box, and that's awesome. And maybe you were even a teacher, Maybe you still are. Maybe your faith is so strong that it could move mountains. But if you don't have that undivided, true, devoted love for not just God, but for others, then you have nothing. That is what Paul is saying. Maybe you volunteer your time. You give to the poor and needy. You are self-sacrificing in every single way. But he says it's pointless if it's not done out of a place of agape. In everything you do, agape is required by our God. It is getting to that place in our life where we are able to freely give love to others with truly no expectation of return. The wonderful thing about it is there becomes a settledness in you when you begin to understand agape. You realize that your identity is not defined by other people, but it is defined by the God who loves you. You realize that you don't have to let other people's behavior dictate your own. That you can truly, with the help of the Holy Spirit, choose to be love in all places, in all times, to all people, especially those that really have no way to ever repay you for that love, have nothing to offer you, and even sometimes those who truly are unkind. Paul also says this, this is how he defines agape. Agape is love that is patient, and it is forbearing, and it doesn't have a quick temper, and it waits, and that kind of love is kind. It shows a genuine interest in others and it wants to do good for others. Love like that doesn't envy and it trusts. It doesn't care who's right and who's wrong. It doesn't keep a record to go back eight years later and say, do you remember that time you did that? It wants others to succeed. It's not proud. Love like that doesn't have an ego and it puts other people first and it isn't rude, and it's polite, and it's considerate, and respectful, and truthful, and honest, and it's not self-seeking. It's always thinking about others first. It's not easily angered. 
It doesn't jump all over someone after a bad day. It doesn't pick fights. It doesn't overreact. It, it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It wants to do what is right and pure and noble. It wants the very best for the people around. It always protects and it always trusts and it always hopes and it always perseveres. Love like that cares for and watches out for others, especially those who are vulnerable. It believes others at their word and it looks for and it expects good things. And when the going gets tough, this kind of love, it just doesn't disappear. Paul says this love never fails. It's not temporary love. It doesn't fade, it doesn't falter. It's real love. This is what agape love looks like. This is the kind of love that God has for us and it is so rare and it is such a powerful force for good and this is why God calls us to this higher place. Because that is the type of love that is transformative. That's the love that the world can't wrap its mind around. When Jesus talks about the world won't see it, the world doesn't see it because it doesn't understand that kind of love. It wants us to stay in this very shallow kind of philos place. But Jesus says, no. If you love me, if you have agape for me, then you will have agape for those around you. That is the commandment. Jesus knows we don't always love like that. Jesus knows that we are prone to wander. Jesus knows that we are a sinful and selfish people. So what do we do? We give up and we go home. Can't do it. Sorry, Jesus. No. We keep trying. We keep working at it. We keep inviting the Holy Spirit to show us how we're missing the mark. It takes a great deal of courage and honesty. And it's hard, it's like the hardest thing we will ever do, but man, if we get it right, it could change the world. One of my, truly my favorite scripture stories, when I first came here years ago, I preached on this, and I think I teach on this actually a lot, so for some of you this will be repetitive and boring, and some of you were asleep anyway the first time, and so it really doesn't matter. I can say it again. I don't think you can hear it enough. It is the story of Jesus and Peter and their reconciliation. It is the story of when after Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus was killed and then Jesus came back, and they have this little moment on the beach this, this time when Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? And if you read it in the Greek, and he's saying what? He's saying, Peter, do you have agape for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I have philos for you. And then you read it again, and Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. But Peter, do you have agape for me? Now, Peter had told him a couple chapters back that he did, But then he denied him. And so he knows he can't lie to Jesus' face because now he knows the truth in himself and he says, Jesus, I have philos for you. He can't give him what he wants. And so the third time, after he tells him to feed his sheep, Jesus says, Peter, 
Do you have philos for me? And scripture says Peter is sad, and I have always said, I think Peter is sad because he can't quite get to where Jesus wants him to go. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I have philos for you. And Jesus says, then Peter, feed my sheep. Keep going. Keep working at it. He's calling him to a higher standard. He's meeting him where he is, but he's not leaving him there. And then he says that last little bit at the end of that chapter in John, he says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. And then after this, he told him to follow him. Peter's gonna get there. And if you watch the development of Peter throughout the chapters in Acts and beyond, beyond you see it. You see this transformation that begins to take place in him as he really grabs hold of this concept of agape love, as he learns to love those who persecute him, as he learns not to live in fear of what others think of him or what others might do to him, as he learns to give his life freely and let his life become an act of love. He makes it to that place, I believe, that Jesus was calling him to, and so can we, so can we. As I said before, it is no easy thing. We don't want to be average in Jesus, do we? We want to be excellent. And so strive for that. Even in these difficult days, even in the midst of uncertainty, strive for that kind of love in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, and in your relationship with others. I want to close with this scripture from 1 John 4, 7. Hear the words in the spirit in which they were spoken. My dear friends, we must love each other. Love comes from God. And when we love each other, it shows that we have been given new life. We are now, now God's children and we know him. God is agape. God is love. And anyone who doesn't love him doesn't know him. God showed his love for us when he sent his son into the world to give his life. Real love, real agape isn't our love for God, but his love for us. God sent his son to be the sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven. And since God loved us this much, we have to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, Others will see God through us. May those who have ears to hear, hear, and a heart that is open, receive the truth of these words. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.